0: You'd remain standing for our scripture, which comes from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will figure, forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His Word has no place in our lives. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be here with you all this morning as we are continuing our look at how Jesus is light and how we talk about how God is light, specifically in the Gospels and in the New Testament. Over the past few weeks, we have looked at how Jesus in his own words calls himself the light in the Gospels while also looking at the words of some of the different apostles who heard the message of Jesus, who carried the message of Jesus from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then went out into the world. And so our scripture this morning comes from the New Testament letter 1 John. 1 John is one of the oldest letters in the New Testament, and interestingly enough, it's actually one of the best New Testament letters that is referenced in other writings during its time period. So meaning uh, there's other evidence of other authors and scholars and theologians that reference the letter of 1 John. So it gives us an idea or a better dating of when it was written. For example, on the screen you'll see Papias of Hierapolis. Uh, that's in modern day Turkey. He was a bishop in the church in and around 95 to 110 A.D., And so he referred to the letters of 1 John in his own defense and works on who he believed Jesus was. That's kind of neat. Another bishop of the church named Polycarp also referenced the letter of 1 John in his own writings in the early 2nd century. So what this means for us is that we can know and we can be assured that this letter was in existence just a short time after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This also means... That if we're looking at the dating of 1 John, it's pretty accurate or we can make a pretty good assumption or or conclusion that this letter very well could have been written by the Apostle John himself during his own ministry and that this letter was shared with the larger Christian community soon after its writing. There are a few things we know about the Apostle John. First, obviously, he was one of the sons of Zebedee who was called to be in ministry by Jesus. He was one of the uh, inner circle of the disciples It always says when, when Jesus goes to do things where he is off by himself to pray, whether you're looking at the transfiguration or where Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, as well as other times, it says he goes with the disciples, he leaves the bunch of them, and then he takes Peter, James, and John off further to pray. So John was one of the three. John was one of the ones that got to witness and experience. Right, so, following his ministry with Jesus, his ministry when Jesus was alive, and then after his resurrection and ascension, John became a spiritual leader in the region around the Mediterranean, basing his ministry out of the city of Ephesus, where you can see the big red dot um, on the map. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, and so while residing in Ephesus, John was the administrator of the Christian church, both in the city, and then there were surrounding house churches in the neighboring communities where people had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they worshipped and met together. And so John, based out of Ephesus, would have been kind of the overseer of everything that he did until he was sent to potmost and he was put there for the rest of his life. And so in his letter that we're reading today, John's addressing the challenges that Ephesus is facing in terms of the Christian church. He's also addressing challenges that the surrounding Christian communities are experiencing as well. For example, there are people in Ephesus claiming to be prophets, and what they're doing is they're misleading the church um, according to what they're teaching and what they believe. So one group was called the Nicolaitans. It's a real original name. They were following a guy who was named Nicholas. Nicholas. And so the Nicolaitans, and Nicholas was, um, he was a, obviously was, was building a father, so he's a, a following, so he's a charismatic person. And, and so what he was teaching, and what he believed, was that if believers are spiritually saved, meaning if you're spiritually saved, you could do whatever you wanted with your physical body. If you're a follower of that, you can imagine people were hearing his message, and they were liking that, Right? Because if you believe spiritually that you're already done and that there, you can do whatever you want with your physical body, then it leads to immorality and other pagan acts and rituals and other ways that the Christian church in Ephesus was not distinct and not separated from the, lar- from the larger community around them. So that was one of the things that they were dealing with. There was another false teacher that is referred to in, in Thyatira, who you could see on the maps, that other dot, so, so farther inland from, from the Mediterranean. Uh, she's referred to as a Jezebel, <laughs> which they always use the as Jezebel right in the uh, New Testament when someone who's uh, claiming to have uh, different prophetic gifts and secret knowledge about who Jesus was. Okay, this is not exclusive to the first century church. It's not exclusive to the second century church. This is something that, that the Christian church struggled with for the first you know, few hundred years. As people who were having secret knowledge or a secret revelation or something that, that they had that was unique, that they were teaching and, and professing about Jesus Christ. And so often what happened, as in this case, is what it did is it led to people trying to find this secret, which led to immorality as well as faithful Christians following away from the faith. And so John's addressing these false teachers in addition to a larger trend that he's witnessing— where followers of Jesus Christ are either, A, becoming misled by uh, either the Nicolaitans and his teachings or this other teaching, or they're just becoming lax in their practice of following their Christian faith. And so they were professing and they were claiming to be followers of Jesus without having their their life reflect that. Now your life didn't have to, it, did, it could mean that um, their life didn't reflect it and they were just choosing not to, to progress in their Christian faith after becoming a follower of Jesus. Or the alternative of that would have been them choosing to listen to these other teachers and being led down a different path in that regard. But in both cases, in all cases, they were becoming lax in their Christianity and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Before we get too far along, it's really not unique for the Christian church in Ephesus, is it, to have this happen? It's certainly not unique to the early church for people to become lax in their practice of the Christian faith. It's certainly easy for us to become lax in our own Christian practice and in the ways that we choose to uh, pursue our relationship with God. And when we become lax, we may find ourselves as well susceptible to following teachers, and that may sound right in reality, but if we really look at the Bible, they're not truly biblical. Or we may find ourselves in a place where we find that we have not been diligent in our own faith, choosing to be lax in the way that we choose to live in response to the grace and response to the mercy that God has given us. I mean, we might become lax in in our um, not reading the scriptures, whether we don't read them or don't read the regularly or don't read them at all. I don't know about you, but when I'm not reading the Scriptures, it's hard for me to feel like I know what God wants for my life and to know where God is in my life. What if we engaged? What if we thought about the way that we read Scripture and considered if we engaged it in a lax manner or in an active manner? What if we read the Scripture haphazardly or quickly just to get it done, which I think, I mean, definitely have done that, Without really thinking about them or prayerfully saying, what are you saying me, to me today? I think we could talk about in the early Christian church, the, Ephes, the Ephesian church, You know, what does it mean for them to be lax in their worship? I think first level, it's easy to say, well, if you don't attend worship, it's easy to be lax. But what if we're lax in the way we attend and participate? Where we may be present, but we're not really engaging. Or we're not really allowing ourselves to have an encounter with God in a way that we know that will change our lives. Or the way that we allow the Holy Spirit or invite the Holy Spirit to touch us or to guide us or to direct us. We can be lax in the way that we choose to serve others. I mean, first, you cannot serve others at all. But the second is to, to, to conduct or to engage in service to others without an attitude of service. Without inviting God to work on our hearts through that experience. I think what I'm trying to say, and what I think we all need to look at, and that's what John is, is writing to this church, is he's saying, there are more ways for us to be lax in our practice of the Christian faith than by just not doing something. But we have to weigh the condition of our hearts, we have to weigh our attitude, we have to weigh uh, the reason that we find or the motivation that we find that we're doing it. Because we can still be lax and be present in whatever we're doing, without allowing God, without allowing Christ to change our hearts, to engage our minds, and to meet us wherever we are at. See, I think that's what John's addressing when he's writing about this morning. When he's writing to this early Christian community and he's telling them um, this scripture, as is, is he's telling them or he's talking to them about how they're being lax in their Christian practice, when he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, and he is faithful and just, he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live out the truth. Wow. Church Father Jerome wrote this about this verse. He said, when John says there is no darkness in the light of God, he proves that all the lights of others are stained by some blemish. And so what John is saying is that without God's life, light or a life lived in response to the grace of God, we find ourselves going nowhere. We find ourselves stuck in the darkness. We find ourselves not being in fellowship with him. Because what John is saying is we cannot claim, we cannot strive or think that we're in the light of Christ if we're still choosing to do and to be where we were before we met Christ. Or if we're still in, in the same place, if we're stuck, we're not progressing in our faith. Because if we don't respond to the grace of God, then we find ourselves going nowhere and we find ourselves stuck in the darkness. Because there's no darkness in God. God's all light, God is all good, God is all great, God is all everything. And so we can't expect to, to have a relationship with God, or even hear God's voice, or even feel His promptings, if we do not every day choose to live in the light and choose to seek Him out. John says we cannot claim to have a life in Jesus, while at the same time living and dwelling in the darkness. And that's exactly what he said, right? He said you cannot have fellowship with God if you're choosing to live in the darkness apart from God. You cannot claim to have a life in Him, to be in His light, if you're choosing to return again and again to the darkness. Because to know God, friends, is to dwell in His light. To claim to have fellowship with Him It's to receive the truth that's given to us by God. The truth of the resurrection, the truth of Christ, the truth of of the Son of God coming, the truth of the gift of the Holy Spirit, the, the truth of the sacrifice that God has made on our behalf through Jesus on the cross, the truth of the assurance that you can have in knowing that Jesus Christ died for you. But for us to receive this grace, for us to receive this forgiveness, we have to acknowledge our sin and our, our sinfulness. We cannot claim to need the grace and forgiveness of God while at the same time saying, I, need, I don't sin. Because that's what John's saying. He's, he's saying if you can't claim to need it, but then at the same time saying, I don't need it. It kind of doesn't work, does it? Now John calls us liars. Now it's a liar to God, not to other people. Because for us to live according to the truth, we have to walk in the light of Jesus and we have to seek him out. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, wrote that we live in tension when it comes to sin and salvation. Because when we are saved by God, we are not made exempt from sinning. The temptation not to sin is not removed from us. Our human nature is not removed from us. We're still given the free will to choose each and every day how and who we are going to follow. But the tension is there because we choose to live and we choose to pursue God without sin. Tension is there because we learn to, to be perfect and to become perfect through the love of God. As we strive to live perfectly as Christ is pure while still living with the temptation of sin. And so all we can choose to do is to focus on our faith. To prioritize our growth and to walk with Jesus each and every day. To place ourselves firmly in His presence. To place ourselves firmly in the light. So that we can receive His life. But we have to start somewhere, right? You know, you can't go from couch to 5K overnight, can you? Well, maybe some of you can if you're already a runner. But you know what we have to do our faith's the same way. You know, if if we're not as regular in worship, maybe we add that one Sunday a month more than we did last month. If you're not reading the Bible every day, maybe what you do is you add a timer or set aside time each and every day to spend time in His Word. If you're reading the upper room every day but you don't read Scripture, get out your Bible and take a few minutes and read the Scripture that the upper room verse, the devotional for that day, is referencing. If you're not spending time, set three minutes aside. You're not asking God, you know, you can start small, is what I'm saying. If we arrive to worship unprepared, Take a minute in the parking lot and center yourself and focus. I mean, there's all of these little things that you and I can do, that if we increase them, if we focus on them, then they're going to become a part of who we are and they're going to help us to stay in the light of Christ. They're going to help us to seek out the light and they're going to help us to lead the darkness behind. But friends, we have to do it. We have to set up a time aside. We have to choose each day what we're going to prioritize and what we're going to make a part of our life. Whether it's Scripture, whether it's prayer, whether it's worship, whatever it is, we have to make the choice to do it. Because in choosing to do the things that keep us closer to God, we're choosing to do the things that keep us in His light, that lead us away from sin, and that keep us rooted in Him. For us to carry the light, we have to make sure that we're doing the things that keep us in the light. Because God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. Thanks be to God. Amen.